This week, there's no reason to go forward with the Innovation Hub. We'll give you an update on how it's progressing. The last update. Ever. It's so dead and it's never coming back. Don Iveson is starting to get really fed up with lack of certainty with provincial funding for municipal projects as the debate around the capital budget begins. Hi, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking Speaking Municipally. Welcome back to Speaking Municipally, episode 12. And this week, well, we're going to jump right into the rapid fire, as you should be used to by now. Do I really have to introduce this every time? Come on, guys, get with the program. Nova Cannabis cleared $1.3 million in revenue during the first five days of legalization in Alberta, with the average transaction being two to three times the average amount at Liquor Depot. Now, the request to relax liquor store mandatory separation distances is making a bit more sense. They need two to three times as many stores to compete. It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel keeler. The city is redeveloping the site that Edmontonians have known for years as end of the world and instead will be calling it Keeler Point Viewing Area. This is evidence of city bureaucrats reading some of the best literature on urban planning, which says if you have something interesting with broad grassroots support, the best thing you can do is change it to something sterile and nondescript. The LRT was augmented by bus service Wednesday morning when the city discovered that 40% of the LRT fleet had their pantographs damaged. I didn't read the story to explain what a pantograph is, but probably Thallus was getting desperate to meet the deadline and has taken to communicating with some less than savory deities to get it done. Speaking Municipally is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. And Let's Do Coffee is a new podcast from the Maji Center for New Venture and Student Entrepreneurship at Nate. It features interviews with student entrepreneurs and Nate alumni. Episode 2 features an interview with Kyle, a local entrepreneur with a passion for virtual reality. Check it out at letsdocoffee.libsyn.com or albertapodcastnetwork.com. So, Mac, last week we did a story on the Innovation Hub. Uh, Several stories. Taproot did a story. We did an episode about the story. And we really broke a lot of information about the Innovation Hub. And we made a prediction about the Innovation Hub last week, which was that it wasn't going forward. Mac, how much did it not go forward this week? Council was very interesting. So on October 15th, Executive Committee, as we've mentioned, they talked about it, but they ran out of time. So they picked it up again this week and they got an opportunity to hear from EDC directly on the various innovation reports that had come before Council about the Innovation Hub in particular. They talked about conflict of interest allegations and all kinds of interesting things. And some of the councillors, Councillor Hamilton in particular, went pretty hard against the Innovation Hub, saying they had heard loud and clear that this is not what entrepreneurs want or need, and asked for EDC to stop work on it. So as a refresher to everyone listening, the Innovation Hub was the city's plan to centralize all the innovators in Edmonton, including Startup Edmonton, in one building where they chose the 103 Street Center as the building of choice, and the feedback, as Councillor Hamilton mentioned, was pretty negative. Startups weren't really interested, and we mentioned in your story that Don Iveson, he came out hard against this. He said, maybe this isn't the right idea, and we predicted it wouldn't get the support of council. He originally was very supportive of the idea, thought that, you know, it would be a key part of this innovation corridor idea, which, you know, comes from some well-established research in other places that you've got a concentration of people and companies and researchers and things like that in a, in an area you can lead to good things, right? The, the thing is, we already have that downtown, as we talked about on the episode last week. So maybe the single building wasn't so important after all. 
So I'll get into what I expected to happen this week. I thought, you know, Don Iveson would have said, mm, yeah, I've realized the error in my ways. We focused too hard on a building and I'd like to back off on this building plan and we can reevaluate and maybe pursue an innovation hub in a future year. Right. That's what I thought would happen. A pretty gentle, okay, let's tap the brakes and move on. Instead, we got something very different uh, and it didn't come from Don Iveson. So you mentioned Sarah Hamilton broke out in a really aggressive almost attack on the EDC. She did, and I think it actually caught some of the other councillors off guard a little bit. There were four motions that came forward at council. The first was from Tony Katarina. He asked basically for some additional detail on how much of the funding that EDC and Startup Edmonton and Tech Edmonton, their affiliates, get goes to the service providers versus the actual people they're supposed to help. So that was pretty straightforward. Everybody was happy with that. Then Councillor Hamilton came forward, and her motion had a couple of parts. Three originally, they got it down to two. But essentially, she asked that the mayor write a letter to EDC's board, which he's a member of, to say, pause all work related to the Innovation Hub. We want to look at alternative options, and we want to do some more robust stakeholder engagement. And then she asked for basically a full review of EEDC's mandate. Yeah, so the third motion... It didn't come off so much as I want a full review of EEDC as it did. Does the EEDC actually do anything of value? It was a thinly veiled threat to the EEDC's existence is how I interpreted that motion. And in particular around innovation, I think there was a suggestion from some people and she just kind of picked up the bullhorn here to say that, that maybe EEDC shouldn't be involved in innovation full stop. And I was at council both days. I was listening this week while they were talking about this. And I have to admit, I felt a little bad for EEDC because it's council that created this problem. It's council that went and created Edmonton Global, said we're going to have another economic development agency in the region. And by the way, it's going to get some of what EEDC does currently. We don't know how much and we don't know what it looks like, but that's going to happen. And then it was like Councillor Hamilton acted all surprised that this was a problem and that nobody knew who was responsible for what. Yeah, the story of Edmonton seems to be Edmonton creating problems and then throwing up its hand and saying, we can't solve this problem. It's too hard. And EDC, it's got a real storied history. And like we mentioned on the last episode, I was surprised that Startup Edmonton was fully owned by the EDC. Right. The EDC does a lot of other stuff, too. They own the Shaw Conference Center and operate it. Now they operate Northlands. The Expo Center. Yep. Perhaps there is a little bit of merit to Councillor Hamilton's question in that you and I sort of understand what we think the EDC does. But when you actually look on paper, everything that this organization has had shoveled onto its plate and then with Edmonton Global being spun up from the wayside, what? is actually under EDC's purview anymore. I mean, the question's a fair one. And what happened to council was, I think, Councillor Hamilton got a little bit of an education in that this work is already underway. Uh, Linda Cochran, the city manager, explained that EDC, Edmonton Global, and the city of Edmonton had hired a consultant to do some of this mandate review work already, and that they'll get an update on that at the next shareholders meeting. Um, But EDC itself is an interesting conglomeration of a bunch of different things. As you mentioned, there's the two convention centers. It also has Edmonton tourism. So the Explore Edmonton stuff that you see is all part of EEDC. And what's really fascinating to me is that CEO now, Derek Hudson, worked at PwC and actually worked on the report that led to the creation of EEDC. 
So, you know, when I interviewed him about this, he kind of said, always do good work because you never know when you're going to have to live in the house that you built. Uh, so that's really interesting. And I do think the EEDC's sort of shared services model is a good one. You know, the idea that because they run everything for the Shaw Conference Center, it was relatively straightforward for them to onboard the Expo Center after, you know, Northlands started to disappear. And there's something to be said about having one organization with programs. It's easier to turn on or off a program than it is to set up an organization or tear one down, as we've seen with Northlands. So there's some good things about the way EEDC operates. But you're right. It's fair to ask the question, what are we missing? What are the other opportunities that we're not being able to take advantage of because of how it's set up? Though I suppose, as Linda Cochran mentioned, probably could have asked that question some other time rather than an emotion at council because there is answers to those questions. Right. That brings us to sort of the other half of what happened at the EDC set of motions where it was called into question about EDC's role as an innovator and whether EDC should have that role of, you know, endorsing innovation in the city of Edmonton. The EDC, at its root, it's the Edmonton Economic Development Corporation. I think innovation is part of its core mandate. It, if you can't innovate, you can't develop an economy in the city. Am I wrong in saying that? I don't think so. I, I think innovation has become a little bit of a, of a buzzword, right? And so people now hear innovation and they think about tech startups and software companies, but it's more than that, right? And Maybe it's difficult to say that one organization should be responsible for defining what a so-called innovation ecosystem looks like and who's in it. Uh, but on the other hand, somebody has to take the lead or we end up with this problem we're in right now where nobody knows who's responsible for what. NAC made a motion somewhat to that effect, correct? NAC's motion was really about the city's proposed innovation policy, which is a little bit more inward looking. So if EEDC's purview is kind of innovation in the city around you know, companies and businesses, the small C city, um, the innovation policy is something for the city of Edmonton itself as an organization. How does it do innovation internally? And it didn't really get a lot of discussion at council, unfortunately. And they almost forgot to have Councillor Knack make his motion. It was kind of funny. It was like, oh, yes, of course. Yes, your motion. Um, basically, he said, we want to know a little bit more about who will be responsible for improving things at the city to do innovation better, to look at other cities like Winnipeg or Chicago, other places where they actually have things like a chief innovation officer at the municipal organization, which is really interesting, and to highlight some of the opportunities that the city could take advantage of. Speaking of which, uh, uh, I was at the Beta City YEG, which is an organization that basically does civic tech in the city of Edmonton, and we talked to a chief innovation officer from uh, San Francisco who is running the Startup in Residence program that Edmonton's taking part in next year. Startup in Residence is essentially the city identifies a set of problems and has a bunch of startups apply Startups being very broadly defined, it could be companies, it could be a dude in his basement. They apply to say, we can solve this problem somehow, and they get basically a four-month residence in the city to solve the problem and develop a solution and hopefully make a startup that's, you know, good and can be applied to other cities. The idea is to solve the problem for the municipality, but also to develop a company or a product that can be sold elsewhere. Right? Yeah, it's basically the city funding, you know, almost incubation. It's we have a problem, we need it solved, and we have infrastructure to support you as you attempt to solve that problem, and then hopefully you can spin off and become an Edmonton success story. So Edmonton has tried some things like this before. There's been a few start and stop programs. Why would the city need to go and find a third party like Startup and Residence to do this? Real good question. So 
I want to tell you about, we had a presentation from the chief innovation officer, Jay, who was in San Francisco at the time. And as he was describing the program, which I'll roughly do for you now, he said, you know, the city identifies some problems and, you know, the criterion for a solution to this problem, what it might look like. It puts that out on its website and it gets startups to apply. And then there's a selection process to see, you know, who's the best qualified to solve this problem in an interesting way. And then once that list has been called down, they talk with the startups and then they choose one and then they get their residence and then they build the product. And so I'm sitting there thinking, hmm, this sounds a lot like something called an RFP, which is how we do procurement all the time. Right. And thankfully, Jay spoke up and he said, yeah, you know, if this sounds like a tender process, you're right. It's a lot like that. The problem is the tender process has a lot of overhead and it can be very complex for startups to apply. So a lot of them don't even bother. What people typically say about red tape, right? Or refer to as red tape. Perfect. Exactly. Just like that. And so he's sitting there and he's saying, you know, there's this procurement problem and the city, you know, it needs innovators to help solve its internal issues that they've identified. The question I had and I asked is, it sounds like you've identified two critical issues with the city of Edmonton. One, that procurement is really bureaucratic and full of red tape. And two, that the city is not well equipped to solve its own problems that it's identified. And your solution to this problem is to get a third party to facilitate solving other problems in the city of Edmonton without ever addressing the two critical flaws in your organization. To which uh, the city of Edmonton staff member who was there, who I gracefully won't name on this podcast said, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You're right, Troy. (laughs) And that's the thing. Procurement is a really complex problem. And they've got a lot of safeguards, you know, logically to protect against conflict of interest. But we have this plan to go into the next year doing startup and residence and hiring a bunch of startups to do various tasks for four months, all the while accepting that procurement is hard. So we don't want to do the full procurement process. So we're paying this third party to facilitate us not following our procurement process. This seems like a broken idea to me. Like, I'm glad that we might get some startups and innovators in the city of Edmonton, but I'm not sold on this program. Um, And apparently Andrew Knack wasn't sold either because he's looking at how does the city self-innovate? He wanted some more meat to it. He wanted to understand a little bit better how is this actually going to play out? It's one thing to say we're going to go and have somebody solve these challenges for us and that's going to lead to these great results. But it's another thing to actually execute on that. As I, as I mentioned, the city's tried this a few different times. City as lab and emerging local tech was one of the projects they started and none of those are around anymore. But we're going to move on a little bit. Do you have any other closing thoughts on the innovation hub and some innovation in the city of Edmonton? Council, the one other thing that council did do this week was endorse this notion of an innovation advisory council that would be led by entrepreneurs, small business owners, I don't know if that's going to do anything. Like, it sounds like another committee that we can pretend to have engaged everybody with. Um, But I will wait to see what they come up with before I pass further judgment. It's really interesting that, you know, this EDC, I talked about this last week, it exists as a pseudo governmental organization, but run as a business so it can quickly innovate and solve quick problems. And the end result of this is we're questioning why the EDC even exists and we're adding more advisory councils and red tape to the EEDC's processes. So great, great solutions here. Fascinating. Um, But the other big thing that happened this week, pretty big thing, a $4.3 billion thing, was the capital budget. We knew this was coming up. It's budget season after all. Uh, The 2019-2022 capital budget 
first presentation to city council took place. As you say, $4.3 billion of expenditures in that time frame. Oddly, they include expenditures beyond 2023 in that as well. So it's actually about 5.1, but who's counting? Uh, about 45% of the budget is earmarked for renewal. So that's existing projects that we need to either complete or fix up or improve upon and the balance is for new development so that's about 2.3 billion dollars they have to spend on new projects um there were some big ticket items funded some things that were previously underway things like uh, coronation community rec center uh, rehab of the bus fleet the 50th street uh, cpr grade separation which has been talked about quite a bit um, projects related to the Yellowhead Trail freeway conversion. There were four things in the downtown CRL. So there's quite a bit of stuff funded. There were also 105 projects on the unfunded list. And this included some big ticket items as well. Upgrades to Churchill LRT station, the Imagine Jasper work from 114th to 124th Street. So a continuation of what's been done further east. Widening White Mun Drive. Um, and then there were nine projects that were potentially funded if council chose to do so with debt, which is interesting to call those ones out specifically. Uh, the Lewis Farms Community Rec Center, which we've talked a lot about on this show. And of course, the Toilaker Drive Expressway. So there's a lot to break down in there. I want to actually go one step further and talk about something you didn't mention in that list, which I found fascinating. And on the unfunded list, there's the Touch the Water Promenade. That's true. Which, if we recall, when the funicular got built, it was initially supposed to be the funicular plus the promenade along the River Valley. It was supposed to be a beautiful River Valley amenity. You'll recall what happened is we had some geotechnical issues and some planning issues, and we couldn't get the project built. So we lost federal funding for that project. And it basically became something that the city might have to fund itself entirely. And, you know, when we built the funicular, that was something that a lot of city councilors said, we wouldn't build this on our own. And Iveson himself said, right. I wouldn't fund this. But because so much money was on the table just for this, it was a no brainer. Touch the water sounds like something that is unfunded now and will never be funded ever in the future of Edmonton. Until maybe new federal funding appears magically and, one day. Yeah, until we yeah. get that earmarked check. Right. So that I thought was interesting to call out and we'll keep an eye on that because it's never going to happen. The other really interesting parts and, you know, the unfunded is unfunded. Right. But what you mentioned about debt financed, because if it's a project that we could potentially take on debt to build, that's just an unfunded project. Absolutely. It's really interesting that the city called out those specific items. And this is cheeky city bureaucrats getting a little bit, having some fun with city council saying, these are the items that are politically hot topics. We know you're going to want to fund these ones. Our hands are clean. You decide. Right. Uh, and on that list, Terwilliger Drive. Terwilliger Drive will reiterate my comments, is 100% getting built. There is no situation in which council doesn't build Terwilliger Drive. I listened to council this week, actually, uh, when they were talking about the capital budget part of it, and Councillor Carmel went right to this issue, as you can imagine. And if I heard correctly, was kind of questioning why it's a no-brainer that we fund Valley Line LRT, but we don't fund the expressway. He's like, I don't understand. If we've earmarked this amount for over here, why can't we do it over here? He was going hard in support of the expressway. There's a deep dive episode on Terwilliger Drive that you can listen to on the whole host of reasons why Terwilliger Drive Expressway is not a good idea. But that one is probably going to be funded. And this is going to be the extreme pressure put on council because council has brought this up in the debate. 
if they take on debt for financing projects right now, they're saddling future councils with loads of debt. There are two kind of key things when we talk about debt that I think are worth distinguishing. So there's the overall amount of debt that the city has. This is like the absolute value of the debt. And there are two limits. There's a provincial limit and there's a city limit to how much debt we're allowed to carry. And we're under both of those. The other concept is debt servicing. And this is the payments you make against that debt on a regular basis. And there's a separate limit for debt servicing. So if we take on more debt, we're potentially increasing the amount of debt servicing, which comes out of our operating budget, which could potentially reduce the amount of money that's available for programs and services. For the longest time, we've had the MSI, which is a provincial fund, the Municipal Sustainability Initiative, I believe it's... That is correct. And this has long been to the chagrin of city councillors. It was not necessarily stable funding. It wasn't reliable. and It had a limited time frame. Like we knew there was an end date, which in this case is 2021. And that sort of came to a head this week, the 2021 end date, because that's within. This next capital budget is 19 to 22. So MSI is going to end in the final year of this capital budget. And you have councillors, but more specifically the mayor, saying some pretty strong things this week. He's saying that we need to come up with a political solution for this. It's not a small issue. Edmonton in 2017, for instance, just one year, funded 15 projects worth a combined amount of $135 million using MSI funding. It's a significant chunk of money. If you read the report this week on capital budget, city administration basically said, we assume the province is going to find a way to replace this funding, though we have no details. Uh, the finance minister, Joe Sisi, said a proposal was made recently during discussions and both Edmonton and Calgary rejected it. Iveson kind of retorted that the province put some things on the table and then took them back off the table again uh, and basically said he wants to talk to Premier Rachel Notley directly to get this sorted. And this isn't the first sort of spat that Edmonton and Iveson have had with the provincial government in even the past couple of weeks. Last week, Iveson was shooting some hardballs at Joe C.C. about marijuana funding and that the cost for municipalities is going to far exceed the amount of money that the province is giving. Right. We've got a provincial election coming up. This provincial election, you can definitely see the finance minister is getting a lot tighter with municipalities and the money just isn't flowing. Basically, all orders of government are starting to feel the pinch. Edmonton specifically in this capital budget. And for Edmonton and Calgary, there's been discussions for a number of years now about a larger amount of sustained, predictable funding. And we've made progress in terms of the Edmonton or the big city charter between Edmonton and Calgary and the province, but not on the funding side of things. That still has been a to-do item, let's say. Uh, so to pick it back up again as we approach a provincial election probably is a good strategy by Iveson. Yeah, uh Iveson's good at politics. Who would have thought? Who would have thunk it? Looking forward, the capital budget, it's going to be debated in the next couple of weeks. Really, the big ticket items to look for, it's Twilliger Drive. That's going to be 100 to $300 million, probably closer to the $100 million just for the first phase. There's also the Lewis Farms Community Rec Center, which we talked about previously. And previous discussions had been sort of like with uh, our neighborhood renewal, how you get a new sidewalk in front of your house homeowners pay. Right. There was talk about West End residents might pay a special levy. And there was no real appetite for that going anywhere on council or with the residents. The mayor floated that idea and it wasn't very well received. Let's put it that way. The Lewis Farms Rec Center, probably the most likely outcome from that it's, you know, a couple hundred million dollars 
is that it just doesn't get funded. Or they try to break it down and fund a part of it and look for other opportunities to fund the rest of it. Often what happens is they'll break a big project down into sort of design phase and then construction phase and they'll break that up again a little bit. So that's a possibility here. As we're debating these pieces and capital budget is coming before the operating budget. Right. Which you mentioned debt servicing, how that can affect the operating budget. The other part is increases in the capital budget also affect your tax increase. There's two budgets, but... There's just one taxpayer. The money comes from a single source. Right. So if we're voting to fund Terwilliger Drive, that gives us maybe about a 1%-ish tax increase. And when we're talking about tax increases can't exceed inflation, then operationally, we've got a hard pinch where we're making cuts to operational funding. And we talked about Thrive Yeg, which was a project by Julie Cusick to really highlight the stories of Edmontonians who enjoy Edmontonian services and wanted to put this counter-narrative to... Austerity Edmonton. They've got over 100 stories. Check thriveyeg.ca to see. Add your story. Add your story. Thrive has been really pushing this narrative in the context of operational budgets. Once council starts debating their operational budget, you know, you can look at all these Thrive stories of Edmontonians who don't want cuts to services. The fear I have, and especially how you have... Cartmel saying expressway is a done deal maybe the budget is a done deal before we even touch operational because if we have from a capital budget a two percent tax increase it's the ball game no counselor is going to make the politically unpalatable thing of a five percent tax increase this year uh, so that i think will be the key thing to be watching next week in the capital budget i think it's really interesting when people think about what the city does the capital stuff tend to, tends to get the headlines right the expressways the trains the buses the new facilities like rec centers those are the things that people think about but of course every new thing you build has an operational cost associated with it these things don't run themselves they don't maintain themselves all of that is paid for out of the operational budget so i think you're right it's very interesting if we go all in on capital construction we might be limiting ourselves on the operational side so those are things to be watching in the next couple weeks and as they come up and we'll watch and figure out how council decides to pay its bills now let's pay our bills here's an ad Uh, i was at ckua here in edmonton a couple of times recently for meetings and learned about the branch for arts and culture which is a branch of atb it's located right in the lobby of the of the CKUA building, and it understands that as an artist, your income isn't traditional. It's also a networking and career development hub. They've got some art on display. It's a really cool little spot. Whether you're a budding musician wanting advice on how to save for a new instrument or an artist looking for a bank that understands how your business works, ATB can help. Check out ATB's Branch for Arts and Culture at atb.com slash the branch. And that's all for this week. Uh, Speaking municipally, we're a production of Taproot Edmonton, who's doing interesting things, breaking stories about the EDC. Mac, where can people find out more about Taproot Edmonton? Please visit us at taprootedmonton.ca. We're going to continue with this Innovation Hub story through the Council Roundup, which we publish every Friday alongside this podcast, as well as the Tech Roundup, which is published every Tuesday. So if you want to keep up to date on the latest developments, uh, please subscribe to both of those roundups. That's all for this week. Until next week, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking Speaking Municipally. Municipally.